0: you have an airbnb your home might be worth more than you think find out how much at airbnb.com slash host
1: i really do think that the moon within our lifetimes will become the new antarctica you know having these small bases we could well see that happening so um, fingers crossed because i would love to go
2: Welcome to the Adventure Podcast, and the next episode in our series of Solitude Specials. In this episode, I speak to Dr. Beth Healy. Beth is not your everyday kind of doctor. Uh, She's a talented skier and outdoors woman, and she's worked all over the world on a really wide range of projects. The focus of our conversation is a recent trip to Antarctica, where she spent a full year conducting research for the European Space Agency, uh, from Concordia Station on the effects of isolation on the physical and psychological well-being of the overwinter crew. This episode provides an insight into the findings from that study, and it's amazing just how relevant they are today as we approach two months of being locked down in the middle of the coronavirus pandemic. But the episode also gives you a glimpse into what life is like uh, overwintering in Antarctica, uh, the beauty of the night sky, and what it's like to travel for three weeks across the Antarctic plateau. Okay. So here's Dr. Beth Healy. Can you just begin by, well, the obvious question, who are you, what do you do, and why are we having this conversation, I guess?
1: My name is Beth, I'm a doctor, I trained in the UK, Um, I'm currently working at Bath um, in the intensive care department there. Um, And I have been just recently. And before that, I was working out in the Swiss Alps. Um, And the reason I'm here chatting to you today is because I overwintered in Antarctica where I was working as a research doctor for the European Space Agency. And we were researching the effects of isolation on the sort of small overwintering crew. And the idea of the research really was to help inform us about some of the challenges that future astronauts on long-duration spaceflight missions might face but also it's obviously become quite relevant now to to our day-to-day lives which uh, I really didn't expect to be honest when I I was down there in Antarctica
2: (laughs) no no it's funny lots of things have suddenly uh, mountaineering living in ledges, and climbing big walls have suddenly become very relevant along with hanging out in Antarctica.
1: Yeah, it's really um. funny, isn't it? It's like I hadn't really even thought about it until we actually went into lockdown and I suddenly kind of just got all these deja vus and then I suddenly realised that actually it was just like wintering, especially sort of in close proximity with people that you're um, isolating with as well and some of the challenges that that presents. Because I think that's the thing about isolation, you know, actually when you're with people, you're not not really lonely I you? you just get um just living on top of each other which can actually be more of the challenge than the um the isolation itself really
2: <laughs> yeah and that that is exactly i think a little bit later that's what we'll come on to in detail because um yeah you can be lonely in a crowd right that's the and and vice versa yeah so how does somebody go from training as a doctor to living in antarctica for a year uh,
1: Well, well it's actually something i kind of fell into um i've always been really keen on my skiing Um, and that led to for my medical elective I went out to northeast Greenland um, and worked in sort of a small Inuit hospital there and I was also working uh, as a sort of skidoo driver um, doing sort of remote logistical support stuff um, out in Greenland and I just got to got to know lots of people that done lots of polar things and suddenly sort of Antarctica got on my radar a little bit and um, and the Opportunity came up to go down there, and and also the research I found really interesting as well. All the sort of team and group dynamics of, which are relevant both to sort of expeditions and and also to human spaceflight.
2: Cool. And so you're working for the ESA, right? And what was their, I guess, in slightly more detail, what was their objective, and why were you sent to Antarctica?
1: Um, so ESA have lots of different what they call like analog platforms and essentially a spaceflight analog is just some just a platform which in some way replicates space so there's lots of different types of them so you have like underwater ones so for example in Florida they have the NEMO project where sort of astronauts and researchers go underwater for several days and they um, are able to use the sort of um, neutral buoyancy that you experience with diving to simulate weightlessness um It's pretty cool. (laughs) I'd like to see that one. And they also have like bed rest studies. So you can get paid to spend like three months in bed. And that's looking at the effects of sort of bone wasting and muscle wasting that you also experience in weightlessness. Um, when you're when you're in space and then they also have sort of isolation studies as well so there's things like mars 500 um, which was a study which was done um, where a group of sort of six um, people were sort of essentially locked in a mock-up spaceship um, on a russian car park for um, for over 500 days (laughs) kind of simulating a mission to mars um And then we also have platforms in Antarctica. So and that was the one that I was involved in. So Concordia um station is used as an analogue and it has has been done for sort of several years. And the idea of Concordia is the fact that the crew there are completely isolated for nine months of the year, which is sort of the overwinter period. And that's what ESA are studying. So they're looking to see sort of the effects of that on the crew dynamics, the psychology of the crew, um, and also their physiology as well. And and that's what I was studying.
2: So to deliberately ask some very naive questions. So is that a series of people wandering around in spacesuits in Antarctica in a simulated environment or not? No,
1: but that would have been really cool. (laughs) Yeah, no spacesuits, unfortunately. No, I mean, there are some analog programs a bit like that so sort of Mars 500 um, would be your, your kind of classic one where they sort of halfway through the mission kind of reached Mars and then did like a sort of space you know sort of simulated spacewalk in, in the suits but no I mean Concordia it's more just about um, just a normal overwintering Antarctic crew. Um, we do have some sort of astronaut specific training so we go to the European Astronaut Centre before we go and we do what's called sort of human behaviour performance training which is all about how to live and work effectively as part of a an overwintering crew and also you know essentially how not to kill each other um, when you're down there. Um, So we do have some aspects like that, but it's really just to see um, what happens to the isolated crew. So we're we're not really pretending that we're in space, um, although lots of people call it kind of white Mars because it it does replicate space in in many different ways.
2: And what is life like overwintering in Antarctica?
1: Um, (laughs) It's quite long. Um, It's a little bit lonely. Um, But I, I mean, overall, I had an amazing time. Um, I have to say, like, um, it's one of those experiences, lots of people ask me if I'd do it again. And although I wouldn't go back and do it for a second time, if I could go back in time, I would definitely still make the same decision to go down there. You know, I feel really lucky to have got to see Antarctica in the night time because while lots of people get to go to Antarctica now um, I think it's a really sort of still quite a special thing to get to see the southern lights and and to really have that overwinter experience you know when I was really little I used to like look at all the sort of polar explorers and there's something just a little bit exciting about Antarctica which I, I always wanted to experience and things like midwinter and and stuff like that so no it's pretty it's pretty cool
2: yeah I'm very jealous I it's what very close to the top of my list is Antarctic winter <laughs> I think because it's such a rare thing, it's only generally scientists and, you know, people who are based with either bass or whatever get to see.
1: Mm. It, I think that's one of the special things about it as well is like, more or less to get to go there, you have to be part of a scientific program to do it as an winter. that's not completely exclusive but um and I I think that's one of the really nice aspects is to sort of get to go down there and really feel like you're sort of contributing to science and you're part of that sort of small scientific community when you're down there as well and that that's something special you kind of really feel a sense of that when when you're down there too
2: yeah it's definitely purpose led rather than just for the sake of it if that makes sense yeah um so how many people were there and What was the first week like? And I guess I'm trying not to go down the Big Brother house route, but it sort of is like that, you know, meeting everybody.
1: Um, So actually, like when I went down, it was still the summertime. So there's quite a lot of people coming in and out of the station during the summer. There's lots of, um, especially like glaciologists coming and um, setting up their experiments um, for the overwinter. And Concordia is actually a big drilling station, which is all done as well during the summer. Um, And that's actually why it was um, built where it is, because um, it's got the oldest ever ice core, um, which was drilled at over 800,000 years old, which is like part of the EPICA project. So that's pretty old. Um, so that, that's cool. So you get to meet all of those um, scientists and I would say there was about sort of 150 people came in and out um, over that period, maybe about 80 on the station at any one time, um, but not, not too many.
2: And what was life like with them? What's the... In almost a literal sense, what's the daily routine and what do you <laughs> get up to?
1: Well, someone's really busy. I mean, um, there there wasn't much for me to do in terms of the Easter research because that was all done um, during the winter time. So you know, there's loads of sports. Um, at Concordia, the French wear blue and the Italians wear red. So that, that's really practical for any kind of, you know, outdoor sporting activities of which there are many things like rugby and basketball. So that's quite handy. Um, you know, there were lots of kind of slightly trippy parties where it's kind of, you know, you're celebrating like New Year's and it's complete daylight because it's sort of you've got the 24 hour sunlight. Um, And also during the summertime as well, you have the Overland Traverse, which is something I got to do, which was really fun. And it's um, driving the big um, sort of caterpillar tractors like the Challenger tractors from the coast um, to Concordia. And I, I really enjoyed that. That was something that was really special.
2: And what's the purpose of that?
1: Um, so it's to resupply the station. So at Concordia, they had a few problems with um, planes crashing, actually, the big perks because of the um, the runway that we have there. So it's like a sort of a snow runway. And because of that, they sort of cancelled that programme. And now they only have like the small twin otter planes coming in with the, the skis. Um, and so to bring the majority of stuff, it's all bought on a boat to um, De Monteville, which is a French station kind of kind of on the australia side of antarctica Um, and then you drive uh, in a massive convoy bring all the like food and fuel and and everything over for the for the overwinter
2: how long does that take
1: um it took us about three weeks um, but that was because we had we had an issue like halfway through. So I would say it was like 12 days or two weeks of actual driving. And then, um, yeah, we had some a few technical problems with tractors and stuff. So we had to be rescued a little bit with, with the planes and stuff. So, um, but yeah, in, in total, it took about um, three weeks. And then I had a bit of time at the coast just like preparing because we do sort of small parts of the journey so we basically like bring up a little bit of the um the food and fuel up onto the plateau in the sort of preceding weeks so that we don't have to carry it all up because you go from kind of sea level to quite a high altitude um quite quickly going from the coast so um we try to sort of drag a lot of the the weight up before we actually set off and then we sort of picked it up on on the way over which was cool
2: it's totally amazing i think there's there's so many people who think that the world is explored and fully mapped and you know well, a that's not true and b it is still wild i mean you know something as big as a as a space agency a continent-wide space agency have to cancel their flight program and use boats
1: yeah, no, yeah it is it is trippy isn't it and it's, it's it was i think that was the the coolest part of it as well because you just like walk off the track and like you know you just walk maybe like 100 meters in any direction you'd probably be walking on a part of Antarctica that hadn't been um stepped on before which which was kind of exciting for me um and also exciting for Issa as well because we were um we were collecting snow samples looking for sort of extremophile bacteria that might be able to survive in these these sort of untouched wilderness places
2: yeah god it sounds like a wild ride good way to spend a year (laughs) um so what were the on a personal level and we'll come on to the sort of scientific side of it in a minute what on a personal level what were the kind of high points and low points of overwintering
1: oh um good good question um i guess like i mean high points i guess um was just like the crew that you're with like and sort of some of the friendships that you make and um for me of real high point was seeing the southern lights and, and that was something that's really special and just the night skies i mean it's, it's really weird to just like walk out of the door at like breakfast time and you can sort of see like the milky way and um it's it's really it's a bit yeah it's a bit trippy again but um but really um something quite special um i really enjoyed midwinter there's something sort of fun about the camaraderie of the crew and also in terms of the whole sort of antarctic program as well there was lots of communication between the bases as that. Well time which was fun um and just I mean the whole experience I I guess for me like the traverse as well was was one of the the high points definitely sort of getting to to be part of that and and sort of travel on that little mini adventure um low points I guess was when I saw the plane leave um at the beginning of the winter because it's a funny time like the summer before the winter um there's lots of people that go down to Antarctica like year after year especially during the summer times um and they're all like really happy to tell you about like how horrific the winter's going to be and how scary it is and they're like sort of Get out now, like where well, you still have the chance and like it was actually really like you, you really spend all of well at least I spent most of that time thinking about you know, is this a good idea what I'm doing and you have quite a lot of anxiety and I, I would say in many ways that was kind of the hardest part because at that point you can still leave um, but actually I suppose as soon as the plane like actually goes. It doesn't. it's not really something that you think about anymore because, because you can't leave. So it's kind of relaxing as well in, in a funny way. But actually on the day when I, I sort of was waving it goodbye, I did have sort of mixed feelings about my de- decision uh, and what I was doing down there.
2: Yeah, I was going to ask if that was a bit of a moment. But, and I guess it leads us nicely into what we're going to talk about for the next little while. But how do you deal with that moment? because you have a few choices right you can crumble or you can just you know deal with it and get on with it
1: yeah Um, I kind of had a bit of both (laughs) I remember I did I did have a little moment of tears when everyone was leaving and I remember my boss being like because he he was leaving in that plane and you know he was like you know Beth like loads of people wanted to come down here and and do what you're doing so you didn't stop crying so I was like okay (laughs) I was like all right just getting a bit a bit emotional but um but also it's kind of sad as well because you you form all of these like really great friendships during the summer you know it's quite it's surprising how and you know it's like when you're on expedition like it's all a lot more intense than kind of normal day-to-day life and so you do actually form these strong friendships and so it was it was kind of a sad time um to say say goodbye to everybody as well not just because (laughs) I was going to be left there um for that time and and also just from like a sort of vulnerability point of view I suppose like you know going down there was sort of quite young fit and healthy like I've never really thought about um sort of my health before and it was probably the first time that I was like god if I get like appendicitis or you know if something happens to me like I'm not I'm not going to be able to have sort of access to I, I mean, that's definitely the doctor in me talking, (laughs) probably. Um, But I think people definitely sort of modify like their risk-taking behaviour a little bit. And it's the first time that I really thought, you know, what what would happen. And and also, you do also worry as well, like um, saying goodbye to my grandparents as well before I went and stuff. You know, kind of not sure if you'll get to see them when you come back. But fortunately, I did, so it's okay. (laughs) Lots of mixed emotions.
2: I'm going to pinch a cheeky question in that case and um, before we move on is so how do you justify it and it's an obviously loaded question so how <laughs> do you justify these long periods of time away
1: Oh that's a good question um I think it just kind of came at the right point in my life and I was just like you know yeah, um I don't I don't know I just to be honest like when I applied for the job I didn't think I'd get it and then when I got it I just knew that I couldn't say no to it because I'd always regret it and that's kind of all it was really (laughs) Um, if I'm totally honest.
2: It can be that simple sometimes right it doesn't I think that's a nice thing for people to know is that not all plans are grand sometimes things happen by accident or it's a case of right place right time and you just say yes and you know ride the wave
1: oh totally i mean i didn't really have that much time to think about it really because i was offered the job and then it was you know and then I spent sort of a few months just sort of going around, around the world, really, um, learning about all the different um, projects that I was doing. And, you know, and I, I barely had time to sort of go home and, and say goodbye to friends and family, which I, I think was probably <laughs> maybe intentional by them to, to really not really have the time to think about whether or not this is a good idea. And suddenly I found myself sort of on a plane going to Antarctica. And I, I think sometimes it's yeah, maybe better not to think about it too much or else you never do anything.
2: Yeah, think about it afterwards. <laughs> yeah. it's a good policy in general. That's it. <laughs> um, cool. So you're there to conduct an experiment on human beings, I guess is the literal way of explaining it. And how do you go about doing that on a, you know, I mean, literally, how does that happen? What do you do?
1: so I guess the main challenge um for us um was so I was the only one there working for the European Space Agency so it's to engage people in the science that we're doing I suppose because everyone's like a voluntary subject um you don't have to do the science um if you go down and overwinter there because everyone's down there for their own different reasons so you've got like the technical team that are running the station and then you've got different scientists as well doing doing their own things. so like glaciology and, and whatnot um so I guess the biggest challenge for us as, a, as ESA was really to sort of, yeah, get people excited about the science. <laughs>
0: You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com/slash host.
1: And interns sort of give me their blood and, and bother to wear all the sort of devices that I ask people to. To wear, and I guess um, the main reason that a lot of people engage in, and the thing that we sort of try to keep in mind is the fact that while all the science that you're doing down there is like directed towards long duration space flight. Um, there's a lot of like clinical applications in hospitals um, at home as well and also you know in lots of different other contexts say so for example on expeditions um, and also now obviously um, quite relevant to our day-to-day lives although that wasn't expected <laughs> um, at that point so I think it's trying to um, just make it relevant to people and I think once it's a bit more relevant um, then I think it sort of engages people a lot more um, in terms of the science that you're doing.
2: Did people see you as this kind of scary doctor who was watching their every move?
1: I don't know. I mean so I was also part of some of the experiments all all of them actually so I myself was the subject which I think kind of helped um and I wasn't analyzing all of the like personal stuff when we were down there so I was sort of sending that back to Europe so it still remained like confidential I think if I was like looking at people's confidential diaries during the mission people might have been a bit more suspicious of me but um we tried to kind of keep that boundary so that so that I was just like collecting it and then sending it off and then sort of seeing it later. So, um, but yeah, I, mean, <laughs> I was the the sort of doctor scientist, I guess. So yeah. people sort of running away from me when I'm like coming at them, like <laughs> trying to get a blood sample or something. But but I mean, overall, I I must give like credit to my crew. They were they were great, you know, and they did all participate for for the whole period, even you know even at the more tricky parts you know sort of during the sort of middle of the winter and everyone's really tired and the, the last thing they want to do is you know talk to my computer diary about how they're feeling but um but people did and, and that also gave the most interesting um sort of research and results because you know if you just get it at the beginning when everyone's keen and motivated it doesn't really tell you so much so yeah
2: yeah that's like anything right I mean that's like filmmaking on expeditions <laughs> when it's when people start shouting at you swearing at you and telling you to turn the camera off that you absolutely don't yeah you know obviously there's a line but generally that's where the magic happens
1: no totally yeah I bet it's really similar
2: I know it's obviously incredibly complex but in terms of subject headings what were you hoping to ascertain and understand
1: So, as a platform, um, every year there's kind of a slightly different theme about what we're looking at. So, I'm, you know, it's sort of been a project which is going on on for the last few years at Concordia, so looking at lots of different things. Um, For my year in particular, um, things that we were looking at, we were looking at the acclimatisation to altitude, so sort of chronic low level hypoxia that you experience because we're at altitude at Dome Charlie, which is where we were situated. Um, We were looking at sort of group interactions team dynamics and how that was changing over time and really looking for sort of critical time points and missions where people might be more or less likely to isolate themselves and we we're doing that with um, activity watches which were able to sort of work out where people were on the station and, and who they were spending time with so a little bit like big brother <laughs> um, we we're doing sort of a, a lot of tech development so things like um doing sort of um, video diaries um, by developing and the idea of doing that was to develop sort of um, sort of computer technology which is able to look at non-verbal cues so trying to work out what people are saying um, sort of not by what they're saying but how they're saying it Um, And then sort of other sort of um, tests like cognitive um, testing and looking at how that's changing, sort of risk-taking behavior. Um, Had the Soyuz space flight simulator down there, so looking at sort of training schedules and retention of skills. Um, And then just lots of blood tests as well, looking at sort of biochemical markers of stress. Um, I had a little bowl patch on my my hair for like a year because you had to keep on taking sort of hair samples looking at, looking for stress levels um and lots of other things as well sort of the effects of artificial lighting on the eyesight um, and we also did functional mri scanning so it's, and that was you know the big sort of mri machines and you do sort of computer games essentially inside of it and it can tell how and where your brain is functioning and we did that before the mission directly after the mission, and then again six months after to see if there are any structural changes um in our brains. So hopefully mine wasn't too <laughs> too affected, but um yeah, so lo- lots of different things, real variety of stuff. And then over the years there have been lots of other projects as well. So looking at sort of vitamin deficiencies and using sport as kind of to maintain motivation and, and lots of other stuff.
2: And to what extent were you involved in like the results rather than just the facilitation
1: um so i've been involved with sort of all of them um but i mean so each of the experiments they're not experiments that i designed you know um each of them have like um Sort of a PI like principal investigator, and they were done by lots of different universities, by NASA um, and by ESA as well. So, um, so ESA organised the platform, but then each of these institutions takes sort of responsibility for the design and the um, analysis of the study. And and I have been involved in sort of the analysis, especially in the ones that I'm more interested in, <laughs> I suppose. Um, but I can't take credit, you know, it's. it's huge teams working on these projects you know it's not just me um, doing it i'm, I'm very much you know the kind of um, person that was collecting all the data and trying to be sort of mr motivator of the mission trying to make sure that everybody um stayed involved that was my main um job
2: and were the results what you expected
1: i um, remember so i mean so some of them still haven't been um published so it's a bit of a long um, process to get it all back because also um some of the um Experiments go over a number of years because we're such a small sort of population of, of 13 people during the overwinter. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, um, a lot of it kind of um, corresponds with especially... Um, the stuff which is looking at kind of group dynamics and things, it really corresponds with the idea of having this sort of third quarter syndrome, which is essentially um, the period that people find most difficult and challenging within a mission, um, especially sort of documented within Antarctic over, mission, over winter missions, but also correlates, I think, a lot with um, expeditions and, and space flight, of course, as
0: well.
2: Yeah, which I, I promise we won't go down this rabbit hole, but <laughs> I've noticed that it's always the bit, where it, that's like the third week is the bit where it really matters as well. Or oh, the third week of a month, sorry, is that's where it matters. That's where the most kind of important moment is, whether it's a summit push or whether it's the hardest bit. And it's always the most intense.
1: Yeah, it's really hard because like, you know, at the beginning it's like New Year's and everyone's like super excited and super motivated and then like, and then sort of motivation starts to dwindle and it still feels like a long way away from the end of the mission. But, um, and yeah, and the, <laughs> things get a bit more tricky.
2: Yeah. And so what were, God, there's so many places. I could just talk about this for hours. Um, Okay, we'll keep it relevant. So what are the main kind of learnings and teachings, I guess, that correlate um, or can be useful with what we're all experiencing now?
1: Um, Well, I mean, it's it's like a, a vast, subject i guess um some of the things which were really useful for me which um i particularly learned from the human behavior performance training which was all sort of evidence based based on the, the stuff that we've got from concordia um oh, the research we've done um things like um sort of making sure that everyone has like personal space i think that's that's a key thing <laughs> um so we had like bedrooms as like a private area for us um and I think that was really important because I think if you don't have within your habitat wherever that might be even if it's like a small apartment having a, a small kind of space which is your own and your private space um, is really important so that you don't feel claustrophobic so you know even in lockdown now you know you can make like a little den for kids or you know just make sure even if it's like a, a garden shed I think that's really important for all of us um, and even if you don't use it very much just knowing that it's there I think psychology is really important um, other things that we did was to make make sure that we had lots of things organized for particularly the third quarter of the mission. Um, So, you know, lots of people um, during lockdown sort of you know my dad and classic example you know he's like you know my my social diary has been like wiped clean and like you know people don't have things to look forward to and I, th- I think that it's really important um that even in isolation that you do make sure that you put these things in the diary to look forward to so whether it's like a zoom call with friends um if it's like a date night with whoever you're kind of isolating with um or even if it's like goals in terms of like sports and things as well I think having that especially sort of targeted towards the, the third quarter is really important. Um, and also to have some kind of tick features as well. So you feel like you're achieving things as you go um, and try and make sort of your goals um, realistic. You know, um, try not to put too much kind of pressure on yourself to do lots of things, because it, I think it's really important to feel like you're achieving um, achieving your goals to, to sort of help maintain the motivation that you have. Um, I think other things that I found really useful was um, to kind of see it as a bit of an opportunity to take a step back from sort of normal day to day life and really sort of reevaluate things and what it was that I wanted to do in the future and also kind of have the time I suppose to work towards those projects. So for me it was to go and live out in Chamonix and so I spent a lot of the time like learning French there and I think having these sort of goals which go beyond the period of lockdown for things that you're looking forward to I think it's really important and I'm sure that lots of us in lockdown have like planned all these Sort of grand holidays and, and things that we're all going to do once once things um, get a little bit less restricted and that was definitely the case for all of us in Antarctica as well you know a lot of us went traveling in New Zealand afterwards and a lot of our time there would be spent um, sort of looking in guidebooks and, and planning this this big adventure that, that we had for afterwards and I think it's important to sort of look forward as well. Um, and you know astronauts often talk about like the overview effect, which is when they sort of go up into space and look back down on earth through the cupola window and And I think although you know we don't you know we're not going to space, unfortunately that would be great, but um unfortunately going to Antarctica or you know simply staying at home, I think just taking um, a bit of a step back from our day-to-day lives can be really useful to offer us like that sort of new perspective on, on what it is that we're doing and make make these changes um and I got you know it's like as you were chatting about you know sort of thinking about sort of climate change and how it's going from here I think you know sort of stopping in our tracks it makes it a lot easier to kind of think more about sort of how we're going to change than if you kind of carry on with what you're doing and then making these changes slower I think it, it can be um really useful um I've got a little list of things um, I think <laughs> my sort of trigger list of things Um, I think the other really important thing is to really keep it clear like why you're doing it so um, for me in Antarctica you know I sort of had the research and I was really motivated by that and I, I had it really clear in my head that why I was down there in Antarctica and, um, and what I wanted to do in that time and I think although We've not chosen to be in isolation, obviously, um, during the current COVID crisis. I think we can all relate to a reason why it's important that that we should be doing it. And I think trying to sort of keep that as personal as possible is really important as well. So things like, you know, for me, it's like keeping my grandma safe, for example. And I think if you have that one sort of simple thing in your mind, the moment that you sort of want (laughs) to go out and, you know, go to a big party or something. And I think by having that sort of clear in your mind I think that can be really helpful in whatever it is we're doing is just have that one thing that kind of keeps you on track really as well
2: yeah that's absolutely brilliant and how good have you been at sticking to your own advice
1: Uh (laughs) That's a good question, yeah. <laughs> i you know, I have tried to stick to it. You know, I think I think the other thing is to remember as well is not to be too hard on yourself when you don't stick to it. You know, if one evening you want to, you know, just sit on the sofa and or a whole day in fact spend in pyjamas and watch down to I think that that's okay. You know, you you shouldn't be too hard on yourself. But I think it's important to try and kind of stick to stick to these things. And I, I think I, I think I have. And I I think, you know, lots of people say um, you know are people well suited to being in isolation are people well suited to being on expeditions and I think although there are definitely like some personality types that are more suited to it than others I think that there are things that we can all learn um and sort of strategies that we can all put in place which can make it easier for, for everybody
2: yeah nice cool I've got a bit of a curveball for you as a finale and it's just <laughs> fort- fortunate timing for me and unfortunate timing for you so on Instagram on the podcast Instagram the other day, I shared a picture of the moon. It was just a really lovely, um, high-quality image of the moon. Oh, nice. Saying, Well, just saying um, it was by Commander Chris Hadfield, and I just wrote saying it's exciting that NASA have said they're going to put the first woman on the moon in 2024. And somebody replied and said, actually, I don't think we should be going to space at the minute. Mm. And we had a really interesting conversation in private message, and then I shared it, put it out to a, the kind of Instagram following and said, what does everybody think? And there was a really interesting kind of debate happening in the messaging box. So my difficult, deliberately difficult question <laughs> to you is, how do we justify space travel, which you are so closely linked to in lots of ways and obviously passionate about when there's so much to sort out on this planet?
1: Um, so Good question. Um i think that you know um if you look back in history sort of any sort of exploratory goal whether it's been you know going to the south pole north pole um lots of different things like that you know um i think sort of having these goals put in place there's really a driving force behind a lot of sort of technological research and innovation and i think um, you know, for me, space is definitely like the next frontier of exploration in, in many ways. And I think because of that, you know, it really is a driving force again behind all of this technological innovation and development. And I think for me, that's kind of the most exciting part of it, you know, by having like these goals to go to the moon or go to Mars or, or, you know, to go to um, low Earth orbit, where the International Space Station is, it's triggered the development of a lot of really cool and exciting stuff, which isn't just relevant to spaceflight, but actually can be used in like our day-to-day lives as well. And for me, that's really how I justify it, because I mean, even just looking at the research that I was doing at, at Concordia, although it was sort of, you know, funded and developed for space flight, I think all of the experiments that we were doing had sort of direct clinical applications as well back here on Earth. And I think it's just about making sure that there's the communication between the space agencies um, and also you know sort of the nhs as it were to make sure that this technology is being used and there's actually recently been a massive drive towards that which i think is really exciting and i'm actually involved in one of the united nations sort of specialist um, working groups looking at how we can use space technology to solve sort of global health problems worldwide so um, we're really looking at like remote sort of diagnostics and telemedicine and how we can use that not just for astronauts, but also for sort of um, small communities in developing um, healthcare systems to provide access to healthcare where otherwise it wouldn't have been. So I think, you know, with, with anything, um, there's always controversy. But if you sort of bear in mind that the budget of NASA, I think, is less, the entire budget is less than the budget for the marketing of BMW, I think that you can kind of <laughs> sort of, hopefully, I think, justify. Um, sort of Is that true? Of space travel. Yeah. So.
2: That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. So. Okay. You argued that pretty well. Have to get somebody <laughs> yeah. to
1: I think we've got to have argue these dreams that. and these goals. And if it inspires, you know, little kids to go into STEM, so like space, um, science, technology, engineering, and math I think, you know, if Tim Peake's mission did that alone, I think that that's important. So you know, I'm a, I'm a big dreamer, so <laughs> I've got, I've got to have these things to be working towards. And um, if it's space flight, then so be yeah. it. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I can empathize with that. <laughs> um, cool. So bonus, bonus, bonus question. What, what is the long-term plan? Like if you, I know part of the fun is not being able to design it and not knowing, but what's the plan? Do you want to go to space?
1: I'd love to go to space yeah (laughs) I mean I'd love to I'd love to go to the moon that that's where I'd love to go I'm not really into like the the whole Mars like long mission but for me to go to the moon that'd be perfect you know a few weeks sort of round trip perfect
2: (laughs) just (laughs) over winter on the moon
1: but seriously I really do think that the moon like within our lifetimes will become like the new antarctica you know having these small bases which um are doing sort of research and like that sort of global community of uh, researchers up there i think that we could well see that happening so um, fingers crossed because I, I would love to go
2: I, i've never said this out loud uh, i've said it out loud in the walls of my own home but it's my when i'd like think about the pyramid of my career ambition going to the moon is genuinely the top of the pyramid <laughs> because i figure by the time i'm like 50 They'll need, you know, a sort of expedition cameraman with some sort of, you know, research background in anthropology or something like that to go and actually document everything that's happening. So I'm just working towards that slowly.
1: It's going to happen. I can see you there already. (laughs) We'll go together. We can go on the same flight. (laughs) Yeah,
2: I'll see you there in 20 years. Yeah. Cool. Right. I guess we'll leave it there.
1: Cool.
2: Yeah. Nice one. Thank you very much. No
1: worries. No worries.
2: Thanks for listening. For more information, visit theadventurepodcast.co.uk. If you'd like to get in touch, you can do that at info at theadventurepodcast.co.uk or find us on Instagram at theadventurepodcast. And finally, we'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a review on iTunes, tell us what you think and give us a rating. They really, really help.